I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is Transpantastic. A podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens between them. So after having had those experiences for a while and really feeling comfortable around the queer community, you did get out of government employment. Yes. And at about the same time, George was getting out of a relationship and both of you were sort of dealing with new things in your world at the same time. Yeah. And as my friend, he was the first to know that I was ready to end my relationship. That was when um, we were both still working together. And, and I remember that was a very, very difficult time for you. Yeah. And we were having a lot of talks about it. Mm-hmm. And that was a time when it was important to have a friend that you could talk to. Yeah. Was it yeah, top, it was, was very it... easy for me to talk to you because I knew that you understood the importance of a committed long-term relationship and the type of person I was and what this would mean to me to need to stop that. And even though for me there was a lot of freedom in it, there was a lot of grief and there was a lot of processing. And there's one thing to know you need to do it and there's another to actually have to get it done. <laughs> Yeah. I need to spend some time thinking about this <laughs> later. <laughs> yeah, there was no later. It needed to happen. It needed to happen. It yeah. did. Yeah. Not too long after that, you left the uh, agency where, where I'm still working. And things settled down with my life again. And we've continued projects and all kinds of stuff. You've maintained the friendship very well. Yes. And, and then I found my, my wife that's sitting here. Having us talk to a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) And can I say that during that period, I had gone back to work for the same organization. There there was a period in between 10 years when we both left the Christian organization, and then I went back. And so I've been working for them for about four years by then. And the more that our love and understanding of and acceptance of the LGBT community was happening, then I started to... Uh, have students come out to me and, and students that I would love. So um, the students that I was working with. So that was happening at the same time. And in your organization as a minister, mm-hmm. it was policy that you were supposed to direct these individuals away from homosexual practice. Well, back then it was sort of a don't ask, don't tell policy. <laughs> But if they asked you, but if they did ask, they asked you about it. They you know, if they're coming out to you, then you you kind of had this expectation in the ministry and in the organization of the ex-gay expectation of we're going to work past this, we're right. around this. There we're is not healing. Going to, there is mm-hmm. healing There's for healing. it. Right. Mm. And I never was a big part of that, but it became increasingly uh, obvious because we live in a small town, that my husband and I were becoming more a part of the ally to the gay community. And you were directing people towards a gay Christian... Network. Yeah, the gay Christian network. But not just that, but also um, some work by some other individuals in our region who are doing work with the gay Christian community and not trying actual to, trying, trying to repair to... the relationship of Christian straight, you know, cisgendered people who have beat people over the head about religion 
and trying to repair that relationship because they know, well, we created the problem. We should fix it. The, mm, these yes. people that we've given this burden to don't need to fix the burden that we gave them. Right. No, so, no. Yeah. And so you were directing some of these kids who were coming out to you towards GCN, yes. towards TEN, mm-hmm. towards, you know, these those resources, resources for queer Christians. Yes. And were you catching any flack for that? Were you, were, were you outed as an ally? <laughs> I think people just sort of put up with me at that time. They're like, oh, yeah, that's what she's always talking about. <laughs> but I think what brought the whole thing to the head was probably your wedding. Yeah, oh. our wedding. The our, wedding. The wedding. Our wedding. Because Wait, what? <laughs> and that, um, at the time, you were working for a Christian therapy organization. So, Oh, you were? I almost forgot about that. Yes, I was. Your, your practice... It was on your signs that you guys were Christian counseling. Yes. We were serving the churches of our community. It was a Christian counseling practice. And in this Christian counseling agency, being a Christian counseling agency, (laughs) you were getting referrals from churches with parents who wanted you to fix their queer kid. Yes. And we would have conversations about these kids. Yes, we were. Because this was a stress to you. Knowing that these kids were struggling so hard, but knowing that their their parents were struggling with let let's just refer back to the culture war. Yes. Their parents didn't even know they were still in the war zone, because that so many people now have no idea that that that's a more recent feature. Yes. You know. It's true. They don't. They don't know. They they've just come up in this cultural war and they bought into it. My kid is different, and if we don't fix this. They are going to hell. And or, so or you must be able to fix it. Or their community is going to continue to pressure them and they will be ostracized and so forth. There is that too. And I don't think a lot of them really would admit to that. A lot of them will admit to, I don't want my kid to go to hell. The ones that are under pressure, they knew it. They were, they were getting that. They wouldn't say, this will happen to us. They would tell him as, as a therapist for them, these are the things that are happening in my church regarding this issue. And they were the pressures that they were feeling. By this time, the the culture wars had been going on so long that the evangelical Christian community nationwide has been thoroughly brainwashed in the us versus them kind of idea that anyone who's a member of the LGBTQ community is a threat, that I'm justified in feeling threatened by these people. And so when a family has a gay child, it's not just a crisis about not having a straight kid. It's about the behavior of everyone else in their community because people react so strongly now because it's like like the enemy is infiltrating their family or their church that this profound threat is now going to be among us. And people behave very strangely. Remember that conversation you had with George that was sort of life-changing for you over that? When people would come to me with their gay kids, I was taking kind of a neutral posture. So if they wanted for their kid to not express being gay, I would try to engage the family around how difficult that would be for their child and talk about 
how they as a family would engage in that process in supporting their gay child in being lonely. <laughs> but I was still sort of trying to adopt this neutral posture where I wasn't going to, sh to reveal my own personal convictions. Which is a good sense of professionalism and also sort of riding the fence as it regards the APA guidelines that yes. say you don't try and cure someone of their orientation or identity, but at the same time you do support the client's personal goals. Yes, and so you've got this Christian couple coming in with their 12 or 13-year-old child, and my goal was, you know, since it was going to be obvious that that child was not going to be supported in pursuing relationships, then why not have the family as a whole support that child in the difficult journey of denying who they are relationally. And yet, what was so surprising is that none of the Christian families I worked with were able to entertain even the thought of supporting their child as a gay child that was choosing not to pursue relationships. They, they wouldn't even go for side B, basically. I feel no. that you were at least trying to hold them accountable for, well, if you're going to make them do this, you need to support them. Yes, Yes, but none of them could do that. And so all the while, I was still trying to sort of hold this neutral posture and not reveal my own personal convictions to anyone, which, as you said, is, is good professional ethics. And George was, we were having some conversation about this during this period, and George was pushing back with me a little bit, saying, really, you're going to be neutral about this and not support these gay kids? And I could understand the pressure from the community, but I knew how those kids felt. Yes. Yeah. And then one day I was having coffee with George and a friend of ours, and George was talking some, I don't remember the conversation, um, about sort of being in the crosshairs of oppression as a, as a gay person. And it sort of suddenly dawned on me to ask this question. If a person who is not on the side of the oppressors remains silent while witnessing the oppression, does that make the person who's silent the same as the oppressors? George and I were now very good friends, and I remember my friend's face hardening in that moment and looking at me and simply saying, Yep. And it broke me that I was my friend's oppressor. It absolutely broke my heart. And I knew that I could no longer be neutral. I could no longer stay silent in the Christian community. That I had to start speaking up. Pause while we all cry. I know. <laughs> that, that was a tough day, man. So as you were developing this backbone mm -hmm. about your presence as an ally, we were planning our wedding. And the pastor was unavailable. Yes. And the church that I was attending at the time, the pastor had gone on hiatus and she was dealing with some health problems. And so she was keeping her engagements and her obligations to a bare minimum at that point. And so when I asked her if she would be willing to do the wedding, I didn't actually expect her to be available. 
even so, as the person who was nominally my pastor, I felt like it was my obligation to give her first dibs. And and I was aware of that, and and I had mentioned to 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 my friend, knowing that he might be the next selection. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was our second choice. Yes, that, that because you were going to ask the pastor first because she was your pastor, and I thought she's not available, and. Um, we, we have to have a pastor because you... Because I want the Jesus in my wedding. You are a Christian. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have the wedding outside, and that's where my church is. <laughs> You're, yes, you are, you are a nature-based faith individual, and we had lots of nature there, big windows all open. It was indoors just in case there was big weather, but... Yeah, but we were... We were... Outside. Of outside, the... up on a mountainside, and yeah. So, you know, I knew that the, there was going to need to be a minister, and I thought... I know one of those. <laughs> <laughs> and so in our discussions about this, George and I, we knew this other minister <laughs> and, who had been increasing their engagement with the queer community. And we were working on, on your house a lot during that year. Yes. So I, I gave you a heads up. Hey, this is what's happening. Do you think you'd be available for this job? Here's the day that we're planning. <laughs> Here's what we're thinking. And... Of course, that was my mother's fault that, you know, we had to have that day at that time. <laughs> yes. She, she ran the astrology, and uh, we had to have it before 2 o'clock on that particular day. Uh, that's what she decided, and I thought, that's fine, because that was the part that would make her take all her worries out of our situation, and that's always helpful to me. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't as tied to the stars as we were to a unworried mother-in-law. Yes. Yeah, really. so, so this task of... Performing our wedding was a bigger deal on your end than mine. Because I was like, phew, I got this taken care of. <laughs> we, got the, we got the efficient selected. We're good. Moving yeah. on. And I honestly, and I think I've told you this before. In fact, I know we had discussions about this before. I've been married once, and I'm kind of a dude about this. I'm not about the big fairy tale wedding. I'm not all about, you know, the big fancy event. I would be okay with polos and khakis and sandwiches from Subway. But... You were like, I'm only doing this once. Your first marriage had not had a wedding. And no. so you were like, if I'm going to do this once, I'm going to do it big and we're going to do it right. And you wanted it to be a proper event. Yes. And I was respectful of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we got this big outdoor space up a mountain so that we could have your faith and your nature connection. And I wanted a minister to officiate the wedding. Now I'm pointing at my friend. And we were going to have communion, and we were going to have a salt ceremony, and we were going to have a handful of these other religious elements to our wedding while we were having this big queer event. <laughs> so we did book you to officiate our wedding. And, and now this, again, is another path of hanging out with queers because, you know, first you come to Gay Pride and you have this experience and now you end up doing our wedding, which is a big deal in in your end of the world. The, the cultural war on your end is going to have a problem with you. <laughs> and I, I wasn't thinking about that because I was getting married and I had a lot of other pressures going on. So yeah. I'm just like, hey, man, can you do this? Good. <laughs> so Did. It was a big deal for, for me to do the wedding and I was completely honored to do it. I would have moved any commitment to officiate that wedding. And, and I was newly committed to not being neutral. And um, I knew that doing your wedding, officiating your wedding could cost me my, my income. 
because most of my referrals as a therapist were coming from churches. And so those churches, I felt, would stop sending me customers, so to speak, once it became known that I had performed a gay ceremony. And so right after I said yes to officiating the wedding, I met with my partners at my Christian counseling practice, and I told them, of, um, informed them of my decision and said, I realize that this could cost me my income. That's a choice I am happily making to do the right thing, but I, would, I won't take you down with me. And so I'll resign the practice. I'll wrap up my cases and I'll resign the practice. And there was some discussion about that, and they decided to, to take a wait-and-see attitude, so they didn't want me to quit right away. And up until that point, I had been working in that practice for three years, and I was busy, but my practice was never full. And we had the wedding in July, and after that, my practice completely filled up the rest of July, and all of August and every month into February of next year. And it was so full that I was referring all these new clients to other therapists in town. And it was so startling, the difference, it felt biblical. It felt like a biblical type of Red Sea parting type event. And it just felt like a flood. And I felt like God was saying, you were willing to give up your income to do the right thing. I've got your back. That's great. After that, though, then your wife, <laughs> who also is working in ministry, yes. working, you know, not just as a professional under a Christian-labeled organization, but working officially in capacity as a minister. Yes. And then my organization came out with a, a new policy that related to the LGBTQ community and that we would only have leaders in our organization that agreed to be celibate if they were from that community. And I was a dissenter to the policy, and I asked them if I could submit to the policy and honor it, but disagree with it. And for two years, that worked. Can, um, can you clarify exactly what that looks so, like? Yeah, it meant that I wouldn't speak out against it publicly. I wouldn't try to persuade anybody to my understanding, and I wouldn't teach against the policy. And I wanted to stay with that organization as long as possible because I believe that, I still believe that this issue is going to be completely turned around in the next 10 years and will be a non-issue. But, you know, in the Christian community, it's going to be a rocky 10 years, and I was hoping to stay and help with that transition. But after two years of submitting to the policy, then it was decided that you had to actually agree to the policy if you were going to stay. And so I was asked to leave last November. So that was another big change for us. It was a big change yeah. because you had been with them many, many yeah, years. Yeah, off and on for 30 years. So And now, had you been catching any blowback for your allyship or your <laughs> husband's yeah. allyship in that ministry organization prior to this official policy change? Had you sort of felt it coming or? Yeah, I felt it coming because, well, World Vision, if you recall, made a policy change that they were going to start allowing married couples, same-sex couples to work in their organization. And then within like 48 hours, they had lost how many, I don't know, hundreds of 
thousands of <laughs> child sponsors or something. And so they had to reverse the policy just immediately. They lost so much support. They couldn't take food out of the mouths of children so that they could do the right thing. Exactly. So it's financial. That's how I feel about it. And we had supporters that I never talked to about the issue because I knew they would pull their support. And we had churches that supported us that when they found out about our advocacy, they started pulling my support. And that was just becoming increasingly, uh, that was happening more often, put mm -hmm. it that way. So it didn't bother me when it was happening to me, but then it started happening to my colleagues because of me. They were starting to lose support because of my decisions and behavior. That's when it felt more, I felt more pressure. So then I was asked to leave. So I left. But that's what led us to start the Bible study that you come to. And that has been six months of some wonderful healing, I think, for the Christian gay people that we know that have gone through a lot of pain and suffering through churches that have rejected them and horrible histories of just not being treated well and people trying to pray the gay away and all the reparative therapies and all those things. It's a healing place to try to work through some of those issues and past hurts. So I'm grateful for that. This is the Bible study that... It was at our house for a while. It was. Yes. It was, and we mentioned that, and we've, we've gone back that, to yeah. meeting at a church building. But, yeah, we had all the Jesus people coming over for a while. <laughs> yeah. So, Mr. Husband, you have since left the Christian practice. Yes. I was getting more and more new clients from Internet searches, and many of them were not Christians. And so they would call up, make an appointment, and when they arrived and they saw the word Christian on the door, it created this immediate barrier between me and them because of the culture wars and because right. of all the, the hate talk and, and people don't feel like, it doesn't matter if they're straight or not, they don't feel like they can be fully them if they know they're talking to a Christian. And so I knew that I needed to resolve that conflict and be in a place that didn't have the word Christian on the door. I'm still known as a Christian therapist. I still have a majority of my clients are from the Christian community, and I thoroughly enjoy working with my Christian clients, but I needed to be in a place where there wasn't an automatic barrier between me and my new non-Christian clients. Very good. Miss Wife, you also have since, you know, transitioned out of working with your faith uh, organization. You had also been getting a lot of support from churches as a professional minister, mm -hmm. as, you know, like a lot of churches do support missionaries. They considered you as a campus missionary. They would provide financial support. Yes. And how has that affected your life to, to have to transition back into a nine to five earning <laughs> model? <laughs> I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> um, my husband could tell you. We had some go-arounds about that. But, you know, a cool thing, it's like when he talked about the waters parting for him and how he suddenly had a full docket of clients. I got a part-time job that ended up paying twice what I was making as a minister, <laughs> which has been delightful. So um, not the job, but the money has been delightful. And <laughs> I think it was just an affirmation, you know, that we made the right choice. And now I'm finally moving into a career that I'm really looking forward to 
as a hospice bereavement counselor. So I'm really looking forward to that. And who knows what the future will hold, but it was a rough transition. It was like being kicked out of your family. Um, but there are a lot of people that we've been able to sit with and talk to and minister to that have come forward because of that process. And we wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise. So I don't miss that tiptoeing around and I don't miss not being fully honest about how I feel about things. I don't miss mm -hmm. all of that that I lived under for two years. Are there any particularly poignant or illustrative anecdotes that you could share about your experience working into a more advocacy role in, you know, the Christian community? Your husband has given us a lot of them. <laughs> Do you have well, any, you know? Well, one thing about the same time you guys were getting married, it was one year that four of the local pastors in our town had sons come out. And it was just sort of like in the water. <laughs> and because we were starting to be known as this couple who was someone you could talk to about this, all four of them at some point sought us out. And we ended up forming a support group or being part of a support group with these other couples. And that was just amazing because they can't tell anybody. <laughs> no, they can't. You know, and they'll get fired or, you know, it was just right. a really painful. You, you raised another yes. threat for our community, so there <laughs> must be something wrong with you. And did, how much of that do you think was related to your advocacy work? And how much of it do you think was related to the fact that you also have a queer child? Well, I th the advocacy work was known. The queer child came and went sort of... I, we keep getting kicked in and out of the group because <laughs> when we were invited in, we didn't know that we had a queer child. And then about a year later, he told us that he was bi, and then he started dating a boy, and then he married a girl. So they, uh, they laugh that we get kicked in and out of the group a lot. But <laughs> yeah, when when we started... We didn't know we had a queer child, I guess. No, we no didn't. You, were just, you were the support. Somebody yeah. needed to talk, and they said, hey, we can talk to them. We've heard that they, they can They're talk They're brave about enough them. to be known <laughs> for this. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's one of my favorite stories. That's awesome. I, I just want to say that these are the two people that I immediately, after I said to my wife, I've decided to transition. I decided to talk to you guys in, in the same weekend we came over. And I told you, this is what I'm going to do. That's because right. I, I knew that you'd be very welcoming and glad for me. And, and I wanted you to know right away. I was deeply honored. Deeply. You know, it's funny. We had just gone to the university. They showed that movie, the trans movie, it's called. Yeah, and, it's yeah. called Trans. Yeah. It's a documentary. Yeah. Right. And we were walking out and I said to my husband, you know, now we're going to start meeting trans people. <laughs> <laughs> And and I knew them. Know. Yeah, little did we know. know. Yeah, because I think that was a, a Friday when I, Thursday or Friday when I decided that. Yeah. And I was almost going to call our friend, our lawyer friend. Uh-huh. Because he he's had transitioned. already transitioned. Yeah. And ask him something. I was going to text him and ask him something. And I thought, let me wait till I, my wife comes home and I tell her first. <laughs> Good <laughs> idea. Then I'll call somebody else. <laughs> Anyhow. Okay. I was very excited about that, being able to come over and tell you guys what, what was going on right yeah. away and play some YouTube videos of other trans guys <laughs> and what they, you know, how they 
did this and what their life was like mm-hmm. in transition. So great to have friends that you know will be excited for you and support you and be there for you in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you as friends. Hmm. We are gotcha. very, very glad to have you as friends. Mm-hmm. Wonderful people to have in our life. So thank you for coming and talking with us. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. And for helping us understand all kinds of questions that we <laughs> Jess is our go-to person for, now what does this mean? <laughs> the first time you said you weren't a lesbian, now? we looked at each other and went, what? I'm so confused. <laughs> I thank you for being so patient with me as I've just one time referred to me as the most binary person she knew. And, and, I, and I'm sure. <laughs> with that I, same tone of voice. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm sure that I've, you know, said and done things that were insensitive but didn't know. And I'm sure that it's taken a lot of patience to be friends with me over the years. And I appreciate that a lot. I I think that because we're older, we don't get that terrible 20s social justice warrior (laughs) rage over... Something you said wrong. Ignorance, you know. I mean, oh, he doesn't know this. Let's share. (laughs) We'll just tell him. You know. And then you'll try to figure it out for a while, and then you'll come back and say, so explain that to me again. Yeah. (laughs) One more time. How does that work? Can you draw us a chart? Yes, we can. We can draw you all kinds of things. (laughs) Dog just scared himself awake. (laughs) In our group of Christian pastors with gay kids... Of which you are a sometimes part. Right. (laughs) I always be throwing out these terms or talking about these different spectrums and the orientation and those kinds of things. And they said, we don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Can you explain? So, whereas you felt when you were around us (laughs) and, you know, you were so terribly confused that I was marrying this woman but I was not a lesbian. And you felt like behind when you were with us, you were like ahead with them. I was. And, and so they asked me to prepare a presentation for our next meeting. And so I, I was creating this document. And the entire time I was creating it, I I had the voice of Jess in my ear <laughs> explaining explaining all these things to me. <laughs> That's great. Type, if, if types you... of things about gender spectrums and yes. so forth. Yes. Yeah. So, and actually, we need to have an episode on identity and binary and non-binary. And so, yeah, that's on our agenda. That's been on your plan for a little while, so now we'll have a good segue into it. Yeah. So, if you want anybody to give a presentation, I am available. Okay. <laughs> I'll bring my gender unicorn. Okay. Good. We need pictures. So, somebody tell me that's it. I think that's, that's it. I think that's it. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening!
things like that. Uh huh. You have to stop. Okay. I have to let the teenager. Teenager's home. We have to let him in. He has to come through here. <sighs> yes, you can. Are you going back out if you take the two dollars? Are you gonna wait? I was gonna say I would wait until tomorrow. That sounds like a good plan. Go erase the four dollars off of your um, board. Board. <laughs> board. Probably have to hurry the story up if we're running out. Now you can have. She'll just put it into two. We had to do that with interview too, because then we ended up talking long. Yeah. So she'll split it into two different weeks, which is fine. Because then she won't nag me as much to sit down and record. <laughs> do you do it every day? No, no, not every day. Once a week we have a podcast. And at first we used to record a few ahead. And she was only going to release one every other week. And I said, you know, I like to listen to something every week. I think you should release it. We should just make more. <laughs> and so we have. But typically we record those two or three episodes on a weekend where there were kids and mm. then we had weekends where oh. kids didn't yeah. go away yeah. and we got behind and so we were doing them like well there were still kids here but waiting till they went to bed and then she'd edit during the week and then we'd release on Saturday and we'd do it again Yeah. so it's hard it is if it's kind of late I get tired Mm -hmm. And I'm not as good at talking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I try to do okay, it. Okay, he's going to refill his water and then he's going to sequester himself to his room. So right. we've got another minute or two to recap. Okay. I try to do a, a vlog every week. Oh, oh my God, I have nothing to say. <laughs> no, I was itching. Okay. Yeah, she won't do that. Right. I knew that. <laughs> but if you've got anything that'll make good bloopers for later, I want it to be recorded. <laughs> Is it still recording? You put oh, the... yeah. If we pause it and then start recording again, it gets this weird loop thing where the output echoes through the microphone again, and sometimes it'll start like playing back what we're saying like a split second after we say it. Yikes. Yeah, and that is not something you can just fix. No. So it's better if she just takes a chunk out. Hard not to remember to reference names or places. It was tricky for us at first, and we ended up having to cut a lot of content at first. But after two years, we've gotten kind of okay two at it. Two years, crazy. What, I what know, kind of following do you have? Does it say? It, is there, we're not recording anything important right I know, right I know. Now. <laughs> it just happened. Um, you, you just got the treatment I got. I did. Because I'll put my elbow on the table, and she'll be like... <laughs> Like, no, no touching the, the table. <laughs> no touching the table. Mm -hmm. he, did he get his water? Are you done? Awesome, thank you. Where, where, where are we? So, will we all catch yes. our breath? <laughs> then I will segue into, because that's what I do here. I don't yes. really tell a lot of stories. <laughs> I just tell the segues. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll, I'll show you when yeah, I can have to make actually use my computer. That'll be fun. Right now I have to touch it occasionally to keep it from falling asleep. Yeah. But when I touch it, when I reach into the electromagnetic field, uh -huh. it makes a little squeak. Oh. Which is why I would occasionally put my finger up wow. and then reach over and touch. Huh. We do this when we're recording and we're facing the microphone, but the computer's behind one of us. So whoever's sitting and can see the computer points behind the other one <laughs> and then we reach behind and oh, yeah. fondle the computer so we usually end with the words that's it please quit fondling my table <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> playing Jesus, foot with my Jesus table. Jo- joining my club of she touched the table and got in trouble. Oh. <laughs> so. Everybody touches the table and gets in trouble. With Vinny, it was her wife. So yeah. So somebody tell me that's it. Ha, 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 ha.